Alda Marshall is back in town. What's Fortress Capital's play with Alpha? Sinclair's Regional Sportsnet uh, could roll them all up into an interesting gambling organization. And Apple crushing Facebook revenue? Maybe, maybe not. Good morning and welcome to Media Insultant. I'm Jackson Weaver and this is my associate and co-host, Mr. Keith Samuels. Keith, good morning. How are you this morning? Why is the marshal back in town? Well, uh, good morning, Jackson. I'm doing fine. Um, I wish uh, Spectrum was back in town, but uh, my cable company has let me down and my internet's been out since Wednesday. So uh, I've been working off a hotspot off my iPhone in the worst reception area in all of Los Angeles. So we'll give it a whirl. Yeah, the marshal's back in town because uh, apparently um, Larry Patrick has gone to the judge one more time and said, uh, that's it. I've lost my patience with Ed Stoltz. And unless we're threatening him with arrest, he's not going to turn over the keys or the passwords or the secret combinations or secret door knocks to get into the radio stations. So he's sending the marshals after him uh, tomorrow. So he's got to turn himself in which ought to be a pretty fun uh, visual. So I'll be watching on local television to see if they have video of Ed Stoltz being hauled off to jail. Do you really think he will be arrested? I mean, he's uh, uh, ignored every other court order. Why wouldn't he ignore this one? The worst that can happen is he has a warrant out for his arrest. <laughs> and that's always fun to, to live under. I always want to be under a warrant. Um, well, yeah, you, you know, I think, I think Ed will try some last-minute stunt. True to his form, he'll... Um, some cash on hand, he'll have a check to write, and it'll be somewhere, you know, close to what they need. He's going to try to dink this around and drag this out in hopes that everybody just goes away. And they're not going away. I think this is the last straw. I think he's, he's going to give it all up. Well, it'll be interesting. And if you uh, get any video, we'll, uh, we'll clip it into uh, the show next week. That would be very interesting. Film at 11. <laughs> yeah, right. Film at 11. I'm sure someday our kids will say, what do they mean by film? What's film at 11? How, what does that mean? But that's another story. Uh, I do have a correction from last week. I made the comment that Alpha Broadcasting had sold their lease, their towers to uh, to American Towers. They didn't. They sold them to Vertical Bridge. So I'd like to make that cor correction. And a quick recap on where we are with the Alpha Broadcasting process, because it is getting to be very entertaining. Uh, they've got a debt of $267 million. But we were kind of looking at the cash they'd taken in over the last few years. They, they took in $260 million from the sale of Towers four years ago. They sold West Palm Beach, WRMF, and the cluster there for $88 million two years ago. And they sold Peoria for $21.6 million uh, in 2019. So my question is, where did all of that money go? Now, obviously, some of it went to pay for the group Digity that they bought. But my hunch is a big hunk of it went to fees and some kind of buy-down for those first equity lien holders. Um, and then when COVID came along, it just pushed them over the edge in terms of in terms of cash flow. So as we've talked about this during the week, Keith, Fortress Capital now is the buyer of the first lien position. So they're kind of like, you know, the bank on your house. If you walk away from your house and don't make the payments, they take the house back. Well, Fortress Capital is a distressed asset company real sharp elbowed kind of a group of uh, or individuals in that in that business and i look at it and say i think there are probably three possible outcomes one is they get the balance sheet cleaned up 
And then they try to sell off the stations and they may even have identified the buyers in that case. A second possibility, although they don't typically do this, is they clean up the company and then they ice cube it. They just pull cash out of it and let it slowly fade away as, as the business dies off. Or third, they get stuck with the stations and have to live with it. And they just take fees aggressively out of it as long as they can, kind of like uh, happened with iHeart and uh, their banker, Bain. So my thought is, of those three, uh, do you want to take a guess on which you think is going to happen? Well, Monty, I'm going for door number three. (laughs) And that's that they're stuck with the stations. Yeah, I think they're stuck with the stations. Maybe there's a there's a there's a hybrid where they sell some markets and and keeps and are, and then they're stuck with others. But you know, if you sold San Jose or you sold Portland or or uh, maybe suburban Chicago, what are you left with in terms of operating cash flow? You don't have much left. So, you know, I think the 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 best worst case scenario is is uh, is is option number three, and that might be that's pretty much where a lot of these companies are. It's pretty much where Cumulus is. It's uh, you know, it's pretty much where Intercom is, and it's, it's certainly where Alpha is. Absolutely. Uh, I pulled out uh, Larry Wilson's book. Larry Wilson started Alpha, of course. And when he sold Citadel, he made a couple of billion dollars. So the title of the book is appropriately The $2 Billion Man. And he doesn't speak a lot about Alpha, but uh, obviously there's a current underneath it where he really kind of takes the board to task and says the board was not a group of people he wanted to be around. They were very self-interested. He said he worries about his investment in Alpha Media in the book. It's being run like Mad Magazine. I love Mad Magazine, (laughs) but not when (laughs) bozos are running my company. So (laughs) so you can tell what he says about that. And then he had a little dig at our friend CEO, Bob Prophet. He said he's a businessman, but he was serving one personal constituency himself. So lots of friction there, lots of drama. We, it'll be real interesting to see the way this uh, sorts out over the next couple of months as these creditors all line up and get cleaned out, really. Well, yeah, and I feel sorry for Larry because, you know, a lot of this is his doing, and now it's becoming his undoing. Uh, they weren't able to, to, to get to the IPO point. Um, so, He's now seeing guys that he brought, who's he's worked with for a long time. I mean, he's known Profit for decades. You know, Bob worked for him at Citadel, right? Yes. Yeah, um, and right. so, uh, you know, now you see your friends kind of jumping ship or, or uh, you know, turning on you. It's It's got to be a, a difficult situation. And, you know, I've never met Larry, but the guys that I know who have love Larry. I mean, you know, he used to have the managers meeting up at his big ranch and, Everybody would, you know, kind of go to Mecca to hang out with Larry and feel the Citadel love. And uh, that became Fareed Suleiman. And that was no fun. So, you know, Larry harkens back to a much more fun and, you know, team sport, you know, radio with back, you know, almost, you know, pre-consolidation and during consolidation. So I I can understand his bitterness and his disappointment for sure. You know, what are you going to do? If you're profit, what are you going to do? You know, you well, got to run this thing and you got to and you got to figure out a way to keep the, the creditors at bay. And this is the way he's going to do it. Yeah. And and I got to hand it to Bob because I, I think it uh, is a tough position for him to be in. I, I do think that Fortress is going to be in a position because they're the first lien holder now. As a friend of mine said, who's in the M&A business, he said, Fortress is known for creating perfectly rational economic outcomes. <laughs> 
which means they don't care about the people. They don't care about the business. They've got no emotional investment in it. It's about the economic outcome. So it's going to be really interesting. You know, a couple of months ago, Sinclair, the big television group, I think the second largest in the country now, bought a batch of regional sports networks from Fox. I think they paid $12.5 billion for them. And everybody thought at the time they overpaid. But now they've rebranded them as Ballet Sports, and sports is uh, going to be integrated into gambling in some way with this. They described it as, get this, incredibly exciting. <laughs> Has anybody ever had a press release that says, yeah, we're okay with it. You know, we'll, we'll see how it works. No, everybody's always incredibly excited. And uh, these are all going to be branded as uh, by their region, like Valley Sports Detroit, Valley Sports West, Valley Sports SoCal, that kind of thing. So my question to you is, how do you blend gambling with television? Where, with, where's the, where's the, the I, I know gambling is huge in terms of the teams. How do you make it work in a television network? Any ideas? Well, all I, all I know is that I'm terribly excited. I'm really excited about this. Well, here's how they made it work. They sold the naming rights to the network to Bally. This was a naming rights deal. So, you know, in five years, it'll be uh, FanDuel Sportsnet. I mean, who knows what it'll be? But, you know, they found somebody who, went, who was going to pay them enough to, uh, to we'll, hey, we'll brand this after you. And they found Bally to step up with a lot of dough. Now, what that means is they're probably going to be clearing a lot of, not a lot, a certain num- amount of betting content under the brand of, uh, of Bally and Bally Sportsbooks or whoever else they partner with to do this. And so, you know, that'll, that'll become part of the, the content play. I mean, what are you going to do? You, you, have, you have play-by-play. So you have a, a Dodger game or not, well, Dodger's a bad example. You have an Angels game takes uh, with pre and post. You got four and a half hours. Now you got 20, 20 hours to fill with content. What are you going to do? Well, rerun the game, run some other content and put in a lot of Bally's sponsored you know, betting and fantasy content. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an interesting play. It reminds me once again that everything is for sale. So, you know, even the name of your network is for sale. So, you know, what the hell? They, you know, they don't need to call it the Sinclair Sportsnet. That name as a brand isn't important to the consumer. Right. So, yeah, let's go sell it, you know. Right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and they are saying in their press release that it's setting uh, the stage for further gamification of live sports that will provide audiences with a first-of-the-kind interactive viewing experience. So I guess we'll find out what that means. Well, it, it probably means I can bet along with the game. I can bet live, you know, of whatever. So, yeah, yeah it'll I, be, I think, uh, I think it'll that's be a, a great play for gamers to uh, be more engaged with uh, a boring baseball game. So... It looks like uh, Apple is getting serious about withholding information from Facebook. So Facebook can't use all the data from the Apple devices that are looking at Facebook. The, uh, they've been talking about this for a, about a year now, and it looks like they're going to implement it come this spring. And this is a huge deal for Facebook, or I think it's a huge deal for Facebook, because Facebook not only uses the data from Apple for you as a Facebook consumer, but also every other app on the phone is supplying data to Facebook. So, you know, it's not only it's not only what your usage on Facebook is, but, you know, the Weather Channel and I'm watching CNN and, you know, I'm also on TikTok. I mean, they know all of that data and Apple is shutting it off. 
And that's probably going to be more than half of the data they get. They'll still get Google data, Facebook will, but they won't get Apple data. And Facebook is having a fit over it. They're running full-page newspaper ads. They're saying that it is destroying, going to destroy small businesses. I mean, it's a very big deal. I don't feel too bad for uh, Facebook. They grossed uh, $87 billion last year, and that's up from $71 billion the year before. The interesting thing is that's more than radio and TV build. The difference is more than radio and TV build last year. So, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina. But I am curious, do you think it's really going to have that big of an impact on Facebook? Well, I, yeah, I think that's why Zuckerberg is screaming like a, a gourd pig <clears throat> on this subject. The unrealized, the unknown use of your data on all of your apps on your iPhone clearly, you know, is, 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 a, is, is becoming a major issue And that, my gosh, really? I didn't know that. And Tim Cook is realizing that, look, my business model is not ad sales. My business model is equipment sales and some of these other inser- services, certain apps and, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's kind of the Apple biosphere. And, and, and I believe that privacy, this is Tim Cook saying, I think, is that I believe privacy of my customers is more important than Mark Zuckerberg's ability to track the shit out of my, my clients and, and sell a ton of advertising. And so, you know, it's like not my problem. So, and I think we're going to see more of this. I think we're going to see, obviously, the tracking issue really, really become critically important. And now they can't track me. Right. And I think that will really, uh, that, that's a great positioning for, uh, for Apple. And, uh, and I think people are starting to realize that, oh my God, so, so Facebook gets all this stuff? I mean, what was the app that came out last week and said, oops, yeah, I guess uh, they got caught selling their data. It was the um, personal data of women who subscribe to an app that tracks their menstrual cycles. Yikes. And so, you know, oh, it's just us. We're not going to tell anybody. Well, they did. They sold the data to third parties, including Facebook. So Tim Cook's just going, look, I'm out of here. Let's just do this. This is, These are my phones, uh, our biosphere here. Uh, probably not a good term, but it's going to be our private garden. And that's the way it's going to be. And if, and if Zuckerberg wants to sell advertising, he can use other sources of data to get there if that's what he needs. Yeah, or you can just have untargeted data. He can, he can just... He can he can spew the way the way a lot of other sites have done, and the way the lot, frankly, the way broadcast does. Broadcasting doesn't target much of anything other than formatically targeting it. But you know, we run the same ad no matter who's listening. So, right. And speaking of running ads, one of your alma maters, uh, CSS, uh, did a survey here the other day on what sales managers are thinking. Keith, what are the sales managers thinking? Well, that's the question. I don't know. It's what hard. What are to, you thinking? You know, sales managers and thinking. It could be an oxymoron. But this this was a survey that CSS does every year. I guess they've done it for four or five years now of salespeople and sales managers. And this is pretty much a survey amongst their clients, some in uh, digital, a lot in television, a lot in radio, and probably a few others straggling around. But a couple of, couple of points jumped out at me in the synopsis that was in the trades last week. And that was that 39% of salespeople do not think they're fully supported by their sales managers. So let's round that up and have this conversation about 40% of a media company's sales staff doesn't think they're fully supported by their sales managers. So that tells me that these sales managers are readily, visibly, and without inhibition, kind of playing favorites. 
And, you know, I remember my conversations with, with sales managers, particularly in training sessions where they could let their hair down and they're going, you know, Keith, this job would be really easy if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, you're right, but you've got to, you can't do all the sales. You have to have people selling for you. And I think there's a certain contingent of managers who still believe that, okay, I've got a staff of 10 people, six of them are, are two or three of them are really good. Three or four, two or three more of them are okay. And the other half, you know what, I wish I could get rid of them, but I can't. Because you know what, it'd be too hard to recruit and replace them. So you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to spend much time with those four people out of my 10. They're just going to have to make it on their own. And by the way, I'm hoping they don't make budget for the next six months or the next year, because then I can put them on probation and then I could get them out of here and I'll bring in some other average performer. So, you know, it's, it's stunning to me that, that these salespeople realize they're not being managed well, which was stunning to me. So that was one. The second one was the, uh, the broad survey reported that 81% of sales managers in digital television, radio, and probably a couple of small sundry clients, uh, not in me, well, perhaps in media, not said that 81% were, were optimistic about the future of their medium. And a good consultant friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who will remain nameless, but who is more sarcastic and insulting than I am said, okay, 81% think are optimistic. That means that 19% of sales managers have a brain. So, <laughs> So it's like, what are they optimistic about? <laughs> so it's, if you're in television or radio or cable, right. Okay. Thanks for coming. But uh, so it's interesting. There's some, uh, there's some other interesting tidbits in it. It's worth scraping through, but it was interesting to me to, to, to pull out a couple that just went, that just screamed so obvious, like, my God, 40% of salespeople don't feel fully supported by their manager. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you again, jump in and ask you a quick question on that. Do you think that uh, those statistics have changed over the years? CSS has done this in the past. Do you think there's a dramatic change in that figure? I, I need to go back and, you know, past uh, press releases. I think that um, sometimes the questions in the survey are kind of geared towards um, the services that CSS is going to be uh, pushing for the next year, sales enablement, uh, the use of video testimonials on your website and their inbound marketing fetish. Take away those agenda items and look at really what people are saying. And it's, I think it's, there's some interesting, um, interesting information there. And I, I'll go back and compare it from past years. Yeah, we can we can add it to to subsequent shows. I'm 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 going to jingle out uh, here with one quick thing, and and that is that sadly I think the Super Bowl this year is going to be pretty boring. Uh, first of all, the teams and uh, it speaks for itself, but the ads are really going to be toned down. Uh, they're not even any Clydesdales this year, you know. Chipotle, everybody's got a social agenda. Chipotle is going to say, "Can a burrito change the world?" I don't know, Keith. Can a burrito change the world? <laughs> uh, in, an, in, in a word, no. <laughs> uh, you know, Cadillac will be waxing about the advantages of, of electric cars, and DoorDash is going to be talking about how they empower local businesses. I mean, I, that's all very good and well, but it just doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot of fun. And the commercials so often are just a, a real high spot. So, I think it's uh, just basically probably at the end of the day, a good way for all of them to save money this year because it's been a tough year for everybody in that space. And so we're going to save, they're going to save some money. We're going to have what I think is going to be a more boring. Any thoughts? 
Yes, I do. I think, that, you know, for once, and I agree with you, I think it'll be an extraordinarily boring, endless uh, uh, brand purpose commercial uh, for the entire game. And of course, and, and probably halftime too. Uh, the Pepsi halftime. I think no, unlike- not mo- even in it this year. Well, the Pepsi's sponsoring the halftime show. So that's no, about I, it. I, I heard they withdrew. Did they? Yeah. Now I could be wrong. I just heard they were not, maybe this, they're not in the game. Maybe they do the halftime and that's not considered in game. I don't know. Yeah, that, that might be it. But I, I'm thinking that the, the script gets flipped this year, where in past years, everybody says, oh, the commercials were the best part of the game. This year, the commercials are going to be the worst part of the game. I think the game is going to be really good. I think, you know, the ch- and Mahomes versus, uh, uh, um, you know, Brady and the, and the Bucks. you know, great stories. One guy at the end of his career, one guy at the beginning of his career, probably the two greatest quarterbacks in the game right now, for sure. I think it's going to be, and, and it's going to be sloppy. It's 60% chance of rain in Tampa on Sunday. So it could, it could be, it could be really fun. And, uh, but I think it's going to be a great game. And I think the commercials are going to be horrible. Well, with that, uh, we're going <laughs> to sign off. I, I just want to thank you for something. You know, this is our 25th media consultant and uh, you have been a trooper and done every single show. And regardless of your internet connectivity and your, whether or not your IP is faltering, you've always shown up and I really appreciate it. Love your opinions. And thanks for making media insultant so much fun, Keith. Well, thanks Jackson. It's been a, a real joy and uh, you know, it's a highlight of my week and I look forward to uh, seeing all of you next week.